thinking about what college to attend? Well, the students of the University of Florida had the hardest decision to make in the 1990s. There was a serial killer murdering students near campus. This would become the terrifying tale of the Gainesville Ripper, a man who inspired an iconic scary movie. It's official. Episode one is here. Welcome to Cryptic Soup. And let's get rolling. P.S. The killer's last name is Rolling. We want to thank you for giving it a listen, and we are just really excited to get the ball rolling. Woo-woo, episode one. It's here, it's here. <laughs> also, happy Halloween. Happy Halloween. Oh my gosh. That candy. Ooh, you have so much candy. Your costume. It's so cute. <gasps> yeah, snap an IG pic, girl. Oh, heck yeah. Slay. <laughs> slay. Literally slay. Ha ha ha. Ha ha. All right, Kylie, we have to talk about it because it's, uh, you know, the perfect, perfect question here. Mm -hmm. What's your favorite scary movie? What's your favorite scary movie? Hush. Okay, every time you tell me that, because I actually knew that answer, I always think you're telling me, like, I don't want to tell you, just like hush. hush yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, no. okay, I'm waiting. The movie Hush. Because I have... Um, I have this obsession with ASL, like I really wanted to go into it, um, American Sign Language. And so the movie, I don't want to like ruin it for anyone, but basically the main person that's getting, I don't know, getting uh, killed? No. Um, Killing? No, like hunted. Antagonized? Hunted. Hunted. Okay. Hunted's a good word. Um, She's deaf. Oh. But she, so like a bunch of things are happening and he's like, why isn't she reacting? So is it similar to Get Out, but like a way different version? Because isn't Get Do Out where he's I blind? I know what Get Out is. <laughs> <laughs> I, I hope I'm referencing the right movie, but he's blind and these people are in his house. Oh. <gasps> No, I actually did want to see that one. It's I know terrifying. It, yeah, because because there's a plot twist at the end. It's terrifying. It's um, Tarantino, isn't it? <laughs> like I would know that. Okay, <laughs> we are on different movie wavelengths. Okay, but I I just I absolutely love Hush. It's like free on Netflix. Go watch it. It's fun. So everyone knows my favorite scary movie because it's tattooed across me. But before that, did you know my favorite scary movie, Kylie? Before I knew you, no. Well, no, not before you knew me. I meant before we did this podcast. <laughs> also, no. 
Okay. <laughs> Love that. Well, my favorite scary movie is um, the 1996 iconic slasher film, Scream, which is about to have its anniversary and the fifth movie coming out. Whoop, whoop. I should probably watch it. <laughs> you really should. I feel like I need to now. I wanted to say something really ICP there since I just whoop, whoop, <laughs> but I couldn't think of what to say, so I panicked. Take up. Take up. <laughs> So the thing that makes this so iconic is that the movie Scream, the screenwriter actually took inspiration from a real life killer. The screenwriter was named Kevin Williamson and he was sitting around watching some news reruns and he was seeing about a news program. A man who was terrorizing Gainesville, Florida in 1990. He ended up seeing these clips and he thought, wow, that's chilling enough. It could be a really iconic, scary movie. He ended up writing a screenplay and he took it to Wes Craven. And we all know Wes Craven, our scary movie bad boy, decided this is it, the next big movie. And they rolled with it. And oh boy, did they roll with it. They rolled with it. Rolled. I've said rolled a lot as jokes. <laughs> <laughs> no pun intended. Well, I guess we should get rolling then. <laughs> Daniel. Harold Rowling, who went by Danny, was born May 26th in 1954 in Louisiana. He was born to his mother, Claudia, and father, James, who were the people that raised him. However, James was not a very father-like figure. He was a police officer and a retired war vet. But due to his severe PTSD from war and mental illnesses, he was very unstable and severely abusive to the children. Danny had a younger brother named Kevin, and both Danny and Kevin got a lot of brute force physically and mentally abused by his fathers. Nope. <laughs> fathers? Yep. <laughs> his younger brother, Kevin, and Danny both suffered an extreme amount of physical and mental abuse from the father, but also Claudia, the wife, suffered a lot too. There was a report at one point where his mother claimed that James was forcing her to cut herself with a razor, and when she wanted to leave him, she was just too scared for her own safety and the children. His parents often reinforced the idea that he was a very unwanted child, and he just was not raised in a loving home, to say the least. Sounds very, um, like, military strict type of father. That's with, exactly what yeah, I thought. Being a police officer and a war veteran. And then when you add in all the things he's seen and everything like that, it just leads to a very tough household environment. Yeah. When Danny was five years old, his father had gotten him a pet puppy and Danny loved this dog so much. I couldn't find the name. I did search for it, but it was not something I could find. However, Danny's father ended up beating the dog to death while Danny was holding the dog. Oh, okay. That sounds... That sounds lovely. As Kylie has a new puppy, that is like her biggest nightmare, I feel like. Yeah. I would actually probably murder the person that did that to her. You just have to also think how cruel that is that he didn't even care about the animal's welfare, but like he didn't care how this would scar his children. He was that deranged of like having little to no empathy entirely. Danny had such a tough childhood that he was trying to escape it with different means. He ended up taking up music as being his savior. At 15 years old, he received a guitar for Christmas. 
and he would often recall that as being the happiest memory of his childhood. During his adolescence, Danny had fell into less healthy forms of coping. He had a cycle of armed robberies, incarcerations, and undiagnosed mental illnesses at play. He also was once caught for spying on a cheerleader while she was undressing. Mm. I couldn't figure out if he served time in juvie or anything like that for it, but he at least was caught and he did get in some form of trouble for it. It was probably like in high school when that was happening or something. And it was like a locker room or something. Creep, you know, creep. I love that word. Creep. It's just so funny. Like you're a creep, right? (laughs) He said he had developed multiple personalities as a defense from the rough life he was dealing with which led to multiple failed suicide attempts. He just had a very rough mental instability dragging along with him as all this was progressing, and it just kept getting a little bit worse as he progressed throughout his age. It ended up following him to where he developed other terrible acts like voyeurism and things like that as well due to him being unchecked with all this stuff happening. Well, and... Just, like, imagine if he actually was able to commit suicide. Like, none of this would have happened. Scream never would have happened. <gasps> you hush yourself right now. <laughs> it still would have happened. He would have found a different thing to relay it back to. Okay. I mean, he created Freddy Krueger. He can create anything. Maybe. An... R.I.P. Wes, we care. <laughs> Danny later ended up joining the Air Force immediately after dropping out of high school. He got discharged from that in 1972 due to drug possession. So that was another thing that had developed along the way is drug possession. So there's um, the McDonald Triad. I've talked about it with you before, Kylie. The McDonald Triad is it is currently debunked, but it's the three things that supposedly make the perfect ideal like setting to foster a serial killer rapist things like that and it's arson bedwetting and antagonization and attack of animals at a young age how is it debunked like you would think that those things would still quote create a killer i think it's because and this is kind of what i was going to say is there's other things that are almost just as influential that have just as high of statistics Like when they are failed military members, Mm. that's a very high one too. Or I can see that if they have mommy issues to where it's almost predatorial mommy issues or sexual mommy issues. Um, But that kind of goes hand in hand with the bedwetting type thing, because oftentimes bedwetting is associated with um, molestation. So I kind of assume maybe that's why they didn't put that into two different categories. But there are often a lot of serial killers that did have maybe just one or the other and not both. But it is more common to have both. So it's more like you probably have at least one if you're a serial killer. Very much. Okay. But I think instead of a triad, it should be like a McDonald Pentagon because there's, I, I could add to the list. Which could be an issue. <laughs> I'm going to make my own McDonald's something. I guess it wouldn't still be called a McDonald's then, but I'm, I'm going to fix it for you guys. Yeah. Following his drug possession, he moved in with his grandfather and started going to church. He wanted to rehabilitate himself. 
He also claimed that this did give him stability in life as he started to develop a relationship with a woman named Omather Halco. It never gets old. That I name. cannot get over the name. <laughs> What's Omather with it? <laughs> so much. So much. Where does that even come from? He did end up marrying her and having a daughter with her. Their blissful family life did not last very long, though, because he ended up becoming just like his father. He abused his own family very domestically, and they ended up having a split because of it. So after three years, they got divorced. It's not a very long time. Especially if you think about they had a kid back then. It was still kind of like you stay together for the kids. Right. At- Blink-182, stay together for the kids. That was not very long after this. Oh, really? Yeah. (laughs) It's kind of interesting. So if you remember earlier, I mentioned how he had gotten trouble for being a peeping Tom. This is when he started taking into voyeurism more after his ex-wife. He also took up another hobby of unconsensual sex. That's not a hobby. (laughs) According to him, it is. (laughs) He was convicted of raping a woman who looked extremely similar to a mother. And he also continued his theme of armed robberies throughout the South until he ended up being incarcerated in Georgia in 1979. Instead of learning from his mistakes, Danny bounced in and out of jail all through the 1980s for about eight years. He had many accounts of armed robbery throughout the U.S. and a few sprinklings of rape accusations and allegations, but most of them were just accusations. He wasn't charged on most of them. Interesting. DNA was not as big of a deal back then and right. it was still a new science because that's actually something they use at the Gainesville Ripper trials is DNA science and they're like it's new what mm. is this science what is this science science they needed Bill Nye up in there right <laughs> as the decade had reached a closing in 1989 Danny had returned to where he was born Shreveport Louisiana he was working in a Poncho's restaurant which is a Tex-Mex buffet chain He was fired and decided that now he needed to jumpstart a new calling. I really want to know why he was fired. (laughs) I tried looking that up and everyone just kept saying he was fired. So I was like, okay. But why? I I get it. He was fired. He did not quit. I understand that. Thank you for reinforcing. On November 4th, 1989, that was the day Danny Rollings was fired. He ended up breaking into the home of the family that was living nearby It was a home of 55-year-old divorced father, William, who went by Tom. That's weird. (laughs) I don't like male nicknames. They never make sense. Well, I guess female ones don't either. William is normally... Bill? Yeah. Yes. Where'd you get Tom from? I don't know. Uh, My significant other's name is Margaret, and she goes by Margie. My mom one day when I said Margie, she thought I said Maggie. So she like kept calling her Maggie for a few minutes. <laughs> and then I was like, mom, think Margaret. And she's like, Peggy. What? <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> what did you just say to me? <laughs> because I guess Peggy's a nickname for Margaret. How? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it was like Richard and Dick. And, yeah. Oh my gosh. This can be cut out. My family always talks about wanting to create a porno and naming him Richard Rich Dick. And I'm like, please stop. They're like, get it? Because his name's Dick Dick Dick. Right. And I'm like, okay, I get it. Please stop. Okay. 
Tom was really close to retirement, he had been battling throat cancer as well. But many people described him as being such a polite and respectful old man. Also in the home was Sean, an eight-year-old who was there visiting his grandfather. And the last person in the home was Julie Grissom, a 24-year-old. It was very evident that Julie was the main objective for the invasion because she was later found to have the most severe wounds. She had bite marks, a staged body, and knife wounds throughout her body. Her body was displayed on the bed with her legs spread wide open to demean her and show her off in a very graphic way. She was stabbed at least three times in the back and vinegar was poured all over her body. Vinegar? Ow. I do believe it was done post-mortem at least. Okay, well that's good. That's a little bit better. Some of the later victims have other things that is not vinegar. And on one victim, I did not write this down. I can't remember which one it was, but they said there was slight flesh burning, which means they could have been alive for the flesh to like actually burn. Like if it was like Mm. a bleach or whatever it was Mm -hmm. he used. So vinegar was his idea of just like getting rid of evidence. So on any of the bodies they never talk about handprints so he probably did wear gloves but also this was his idea on how to clean so potentially yeah he's like well you know this will do it probably was already in the house and it was easy to find so that's why he used it yeah probably because if this was tom's house no offense to tom but he's an older guy and he's retired and stuff he probably doesn't have a ton of cleaning products all around but you can find some vinegar in the in the cabinet Bleach. Maybe he doesn't have bleach. He wears a lot of black. You never know. (laughs) He wears a lot of black. Same. (laughs) The police believed that this was an attempt to hide the evidence, though, with vinegar being doused and almost in a cleanup type method. She had sticky residue on her wrist as if she was bound with duct tape, but there was no duct tape found anywhere near her or the bodies. The bodies ended up only being discovered because Sean's parents were unable to get a hold of the family and they were asking the police to come and do a welfare check. When the police knocked numerous times, they got no answer. So they decided to kind of poke around the house and that's when they found Tom slumped against the laundry room door with several stab wounds in the back and chest. Sean was face down in the family room with the TV in the background and a knife wound through his back. The wound went so deep, it actually had exited through his chest also. That's really sad. He was probably just eight. He was probably sitting there. You know how like you're a kid and you sit on your knees and you just watch TV like intently. And you're like at your grandparents so you can get away with watching like the kind of raunchier cartoons (laughs) that your parents wouldn't let you watch. I feel like this is the opposite of for me, but yeah. I use my grandparents as a secret way to watch, like, (laughs) Cartoon Network. Oh, my goodness. Cartoon Network is is the devil. Yeah, it has the bad cartoons. They're all about, like, making dirty jokes. Those are the best kind. Yeah, not not to a strict religious family. I already know that you haven't seen Rugrats, but to our listeners, have you watched Rugrats as an adult? It will change your life. In a good or a bad way? Bad. It's so bad. I watched the Thornberries as an adult. I love the Thornberries. Because I forgot Tim Curry is Nigel. Yeah. What is Nigel's catchphrase? I don't remember. I just like 
remember him talking like Dash. <laughs> Mind all bomb, Mary. <laughs> hmm, I really like him. Yeah, my my family used to compare me to that weird little ape child. They always said I was him. <laughs> Danny. Yeah, Donnie, Donnie, it's Donnie. Donnie. We're talking about Danny. That's why. Yeah. yeah, my family always said I was like Donnie. I think they just meant annoying, but <laughs> he was like feral. Right. I think he was like super autistic, and I am too. <laughs> no, like nonverbal. Yes, I know what you mean. <laughs> yeah. No, my family compared me to a feral child growing up very often. Okay. Well, that makes sense nowadays. All right. <laughs> These murders in the family are often left untalked about because they didn't actually happen in Gainesville and they happened a year before the other murders, so they kind of get swept under the rug. Also, it took a little bit longer to solve them due to that. The police had set up a task force. They set up 24-hour surveillance around the neighborhood and they were going around posting up asking neighbors. But I don't think they did that good because where Danny was living was with his parents, which was only 10 minutes from the home where he murdered Julie Grissom. Nice. Gotta love those. Where are we at? We're in Louisiana. L-O? L-O-P-D. <laughs> L-O? <laughs> Maybe. I think that's their initials. Well, it would probably be going off of, like, the city, though. I'm sorry. Shreveport PD. Yeah, probably. All right. Shreveport, get your stuff together. Shreveport County, probably. Following this crime in the May of 1990, it proved that living with his parents was not an easy task for Danny. He got into fights all the time with his father, but a final argument was very heated and Danny ended up pulling a gun on his father. He shot James in the stomach and the head with a handheld firearm. And James did manage to survive, but he ended up losing the use of his right eye and the hearing in one of his ears. Only Danny Rowling's father would live through this. Like, only him. Like, who else could survive a gunshot to the, well, first of all, the stomach and then the fucking head? Well, due to the nature of this act, his parents kicked him out and wouldn't let him live in the home anymore. Oh, you mean you can't take a gun? <laughs> no, Kylie, you can't take a gun to your parents and still expect to live with them. Darn it, that was my whole goal in life. <laughs> Turns out they're going to kick you out, so <laughs> plan accordingly, guys. <clears throat> So Danny ended up going and renting a hotel room, but instead of utilizing it, he also set up a makeshift tent area and campsite in the forest behind the University of Florida. He decided that was better than staying in a bougie hotel. Sounds great. I do. Wait, bougie hotel? Like, I don't know. I, I read in some reports he got a kind of nicer hotel in oh. the area. And I mean, it's in Florida in a college town, so. Gainesville's really nice. Exactly. I think his method, though, was, or I guess not method, his his motive was University of Florida has some nice pickings for some peeping tomming. Gross. Is peeping tomming a phrase? No, I don't. I don't think so. I think it's just peeping tom. Right. Me. No. (laughs) (laughs) Being a peeping tom. Okay, that's better. (laughs) After he said it up his little campsite he decided to go to the local walmart 
to finish buying anything he would need for the campsite. He was at the store walking around when he decided he spotted his next two victims. The people of Walmart? <laughs> Just all the people of Walmart. He's like, I'm going to get them all. No, I mean like the website, like people of Walmart. Have you not? I have not. I don't what? know what you're saying. This is a joke. It's a whole ass website. <laughs> well, I understood that by the three times you said website. It's a whole ass website. Oh, okay. Whatever. Weirdos. I feel like you guys are weirder for knowing about it. Well, because it just shows like the the white trash or the like super interesting people not wearing correct clothes. Anything. <laughs> yeah. Love to see it. Yeah. The two victims he ended up picking out were two university freshmen who happened to be roommates. They had started shopping for their first apartment. Their names were Christina Powell and Sonia Larson. <laughs> I tried to do it better. Larson. Larson. No. <laughs> Larson. Larson. <laughs> I feel like we're saying the same thing. We're not. Larson. Lar. Lar. No. Lar. Lar. Lighter. Lar. Don't go under. Larson. Larson. Okay. Ooh, it's getting worse. It's Stop getting worse. See, it. you can hear it. Okay. You want to redo that sentence? Ah. <laughs> <sighs> <laughs> the two victims he ended up choosing were two university freshmen who happened to be roommates that had just moved into their first apartment together. Christina Powell and Sonia Larson. Sonia Larson was 18 years old, studying to be a nursery school teacher and overall described as a very nice person. I still don't know how you become a nursery school teacher. I didn't know you had to go to school for it. Like, I feel like it would be <clears throat> like... What's the word I want? Like children, um, education? No, like development. Oh, like I feel like that would be the actual degree, not because you go into like you don't, you're not studying to be a teacher. Like you're studying education, like secondary or. That sounds like the worst job in the world. I would literally... <laughs> but that's because just... I don't have very much patience. <laughs> no. I would like the arts and crafts in the nap time. I would but also as long, nap. <laughs> as long as they aren't doing the arts and crafts, though. Like, I want to do them and let them right. watch me. <laughs> right. And I want to nap. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're on the same page here. Okay. Christina Powell was 17 years old, and she had also just moved to Gainesville to be roommates. So these girls were just minding their business. You have to remember this. They were shopping, you know, probably buying things like, oh, a new lamp or new towels for the kitchen, doing mundane, normal activities. And that's when he spotted them. And he's like, yep, that's them. I got the urge. And he really went very aggressively with the first kills at Julie and them. But people don't remember that happening. So sometimes they accredit this to being his first kills. And it's very graphic when you think about it because he just instant went into voyeurism, peeping Tom, rape, now all of a sudden stalking and aggressively murdering. Sounds lovely. It's a steep mountain he climbed and he he climbed it fast. Yeah. 
he ended up following the women home and he waited outside in trees and bush area in the back of the home, watching them through the windows while they did normal activities like wash the dishes, pick up the house, things like that. And he waited until 3 a.m. where he broke in their home and attacked them. It wasn't until Sunday on August 26th when a police officer was called by a maintenance worker of the building to come and check in on the girls. It kind of was a little phone tag thing. The girls' cars was in the parking lot and they normally, Christina would call her parents almost daily. And since moving into the new apartment, they were even more like, check in with us, you know, let us know how things are going. Christina hadn't been in touch with her family. So the family was like, oh, we don't really want to have to go all the way over there. We'll just maybe see. So they contacted the maintenance people. The maintenance people couldn't get inside. So then the maintenance people called the police and that's where it kind of was like a little phone tag. But the police weren't very worried about the situation because in their mind, they took it the opposite way, thinking it's these girls' first apartment. They're so excited to be out on their own. They're just not spending every moment contacting their parents. But the issue was Christina's parents were very, very adamant. And so they pretty much got forced to come and do a welfare check. The police couldn't get the master key to unlock the front door and they ended up having to break a window. I have a theory of why that could be a thing, but I'm going to save it till the end. It's a kind of common theory, but it's kind of an, it hasn't been debunked, but it hasn't been proven. Master keys are annoying as hell. Oh, I mean, I used to work in real estate and leasing and a lot of times they didn't work. (laughs) Oh, well, don't say that because you're debunking my thought then. I didn't know that. I'm sorry. (laughs) I just never knew that. Well, that's kind of weird. The issue with this was that when they broke the window, there was an overwhelming scent of death, which if you know anything about true crime in the true crime world, that is something anyone can tell you. Once you smell death, you'll never smell anything like that. You'll always know that scent. And it is pungent and it is something you won't mistake for anything else. You don't mistake the scent of death. You can't just lie and say it's something like, rotting pizzas in your trunk or something kylie i love quizzing you on true crime (laughs) so what case it's a very recent case in the past few years did i'll give you all the hints possible did the parent of the accused person say the smell coming from their trunk was like rotten food and pizzas and the police are like yeah that's maggots and dead corpse (laughs) not that's disgusting (laughs) who was that i have no idea do i know yes you know i don't know it's casey anthony (laughs) oh no i didn't know oh i figured you might know that one i live under a rock yeah casey anthony said that they were just pizzas in her trunk that she forgot or something yeah really that makes me upset oh that's the only if that's the only thing that upsets you about that case, we gotta cover that case now. <laughs> right now. Sorry guys, we are done with this one. Hope you just, you know, can Google the rest of it now. <laughs> they said that when they found Nope, they didn't say that. <laughs> they say when they went in, it was a bloody and disturbing sight. A CSI former sergeant Jimmy Ward was the first person on the scene. He first found Sonia Larson. Sonia was found on her waterbed in the third floor bedroom. She was stabbed 20 times and so badly mutilated they had to end up using dental records to identify her body. 
I like that she has a waterbed, though. Iconic. Yeah. But also, bad idea. Why did we think it was a safe idea to, like, drag a hose through your house and stuff it in your bed and, like, fill it with water? Well, and it's really, really heavy. Mm -hmm. I had a waterbed growing up. Of course you did. (laughs) My parents did. Um, It just always reminds me of... Freddy Krueger, Nightmare on Elm Street. I want to say it's the dream one, which I think is the third movie where he's laying in the bed and he like feels something and it's the girl in the bed and she's pounding on the bed. Do you think I know what you're talking about? No, I don't know why I'm even doing this, (laughs) but that's it. Did I just say it was a Wes Anderson movie? I think I did. It's a Wes Craven movie, not Wes Anderson. I didn't think you did. I didn't think you did. Okay, maybe I didn't. It's Wes Craven, though. Okay. It's the same guy as Scream, so that's crazy. What is wrong with me? I don't even think you, like, mentioned okay, Wes at all. <clears throat> Just cut the word Anderson out every time I say it. <laughs> <laughs> she was attacked while sleeping in her bed, the officer said. Her arms and hands were over her head, and then she was slid down to the end of the bed with, like, her feet... So imagine, you know, laying in your bed and then someone kind of dragging you by your feet. So your arms still remain above your head. I have a story. Yes. (laughs) So when I was in high school, my best friend, Emily, she would she basically lived in my house. And one night I woke up to her literally like that, like her hands were above her head. And I I asked her in the morning, I was like, did you dream at all? And she's like, yeah, I was like on a roller coaster. <laughs> That's good. That's a good one. Like, oh my gosh, because I saw you like literally with your hands up. She was living her best life, okay? Exactly. With how her body was positioned, the issue was that... She was not on a roller coaster. She, in fact, was drugged there. And with how the blood was smeared, she was drugged across her bed after being stabbed. Like down? Yes. So, like, she was stabbed while laying down in her bed. So, potentially asleep or just woken up. Mm-hmm. And then after she was stabbed the multiple times, he drugged her down that at that point. Christina was found downstairs in the living room. They believe she was potentially asleep on the couch. Her body ended up being positioned directly in front of the front door. So if they would have entered the house correctly, they would have instantly seen her and she would have been the first body. Christina was forced to perform oral sex, was viciously raped, and stabbed in the back six times. The scene was staged with Christina's body in another pornographic state, as the police called it, where she was very um, displayed. So she had to have been, like, slumped. You know, like, I just, like, think I love I'm, like, rea- reenacting this, but just, like, yeah, like, back arched, hunched over, slumped down, just dead weight. Yeah. Yeah. Y- yes. In front of the door. I love when you act things out on a podcast because it really gets the point across. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Can't you see me? What? You guys don't know what we're doing? No. <laughs> So there's something that really perplexes me about this that I find 100% uncomfortable. Christina's nipples. They were cut off and missing. Oh. Not. Wait, missing. Not anywhere. They were missing. 
They were gone. Just vamoosh. Vamoosh. <laughs> the killer potentially took them with him. There was duct tape residue again on both women's wrists and mouth, but there was no actual duct tape on them. Just the residue as if they were on and then he took them off. Also, both bodies were cleaned with detergents to get rid of evidence. Better than the vinegar. (laughs) He's moving up. Moving up in the world. He bought it at Walmart. Oh, no, but I don't like that. He, while he was there that night and stalking them, he bought his kill kit while stalking them and planning to use it on them. So. I need to talk to that Walmart employee. Like, did you not notice the things he was buying? It'd just be a little bit sketchy. Christina's body did still have the cleaning liquids and a towel next to her body. Sometimes it's a paper towel. Sometimes it's a towel. I've heard both cases, but I, I can't find like any evidence to state whether it was one or the other. Both bodies were naked and it appeared to the coroners that the women had their shirts and pants cut off after being bound due to how the residue was, but their bras and underwear were forcefully ripped off their bodies. They had like almost just like burn marks from it being pulled so aggressively. Side note, like where did you get that type of underwear? Cause like I need it. In my life. I wear like it's pulled off? No. <laughs> <laughs> that like sturdy of under oh. like I feel like if you just ripped my underclothing <laughs> off, it would just fall right off. Oh yeah. They were smart. They weren't shopping at Victoria's Secrets. They were buying like actually well made stuff, not just like a hoity toity little hoity toity. <laughs> the words I'm using today. The, the, the Walmart the Walmart clothing. Yeah. Dr. William Hamilton was the chief medical examiner on the scene, and he was quoted saying that this was the work of a new Bundy-style killer. After the murders, Danny had hung out in the house, and he was eating the food from the girl's fridge before he ended up leaving. That's just really not nice. Kylie, trivia time again. Oh, no. Name another killer that stayed in the house and ate food from the people's fridge. We have talked about this. Was it Mountain Dew? One of the, there's one specific one where that was the hint I gave you. And we actually talked about this in your kitchen like two days ago. Yep. I don't remember. He drank Mountain Dew. Yep. You literally just listened to a podcast. On yep. I re- California. Oh. 1984. Uh, the Richard, screen door intruder. Richard Ramirez. Ding, ding, ding. You guys, Shit, the- I got something. <laughs> Kylie, you deserve a prize. She has <laughs> never gotten one of my trivias, right? Ouch. I'm so impressed. I did it. I did. It. <laughs> now we gotta have like a whole trivia episode now no we don't it's not a thing we need <laughs> this was the beginning of his killing spree and unlike some killers he did not have a cooling down period he ramped up and he stayed up while the cops were at the scene they actually got a call for a different welfare check a few miles away he, he i'm sorry i just really want to make this joke but because he stayed up the joke what (laughs) wait what's the joke he said he ramped up and stayed up yeah he stayed up his boner (laughs) 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 okay boner jokes sorry i had like i just i couldn't get out of my head i didn't i didn't know we were that kind of a podcast 
It was less than nine hours after the... Because <laughs> I was thinking about boners. <laughs> you got this. <laughs> um, all right. It was less than nine hours after the discovery of Sonia and Christina's bodies when a girl named Crystal Hoyt had failed to show up for her midnight shift at the sheriff's department. Ballsy. Yeah. The sheriff's department. Right. Also, not even like, I mean, it's, it's like the happening at the same time. Yeah. She was a, a, a clerical worker in the sheriff's department, but you know, tomato, tomato at that point. It's not even tomato, tomato. It's just tomato, tomato. <laughs> she was just, she was working her way up. Yeah. That's what she wanted to do. She actually was working her way up. She was 18 years old and she was studying chemistry because she wanted to be a crime lab technician. I used to think that I wanted to be like a forensic scientist and then I took like forensic chemistry. I liked it, but like the chemistry. (laughs) I failed chemistry because I only write in capital letters. And (laughs) you can't do that. And you can't do it. So the lady failed me. So I refused to take it again. I took a different science class. That's hilarious. Yeah. It's just a thing. I I can't write in lowercase. It bothers my OCD. I don't know. So you should have taken like drafting. Okay. You literally have to write in all caps. I pretty much do that with my real life nowadays. There you go. Drafting. Huh. See? Screw chemistry. Should have been an architect. Well, I'm not that smart. Calm down. <laughs> We've talked about architects so much in the past week. Yeah, we have. Crystal was never late for work, and that's how they knew something was wrong, because she didn't call in, she didn't report that she was going to be sick or late or anything. A fellow police officer put in a call and asked someone to go check on her at her very secluded duplex apartment. I love that part. Like, they knew exactly. They knew something was wrong, and they just, like... Like, you know you're really loved when somebody realizes that you're gone at work. When it's your job, nonetheless. Yeah. I, again, I have a story real quick. <laughs> like, a week ago, I got locked out of my house. And <laughs> that's, it happens more frequently than I would like to admit. <laughs> and I got locked out of my house. And I called in and I did tell them that I wasn't going to come in. But the girl that I called into forgot to tell any of my coworkers that I wasn't coming in. And... I'm supposed to be there at 7 a.m., mind you. They called me at 2 p.m. because they finally realized I wasn't at work. That's kind of a long time. And he was like, I just walked the whole shop and I can't find you. And I was like, yes, <laughs> yes I'm aware. I'm not he's, here. <laughs> he's like, your welding kit hasn't even been touched today. I was like, again, you are not wrong. <laughs> <laughs> well, Crystal's employers liked her. Apparently much more than mine do. I guess so. They noticed instantly and they did ask someone to go check on her. And in the process of doing this, they were unable to get a reply after knocking at the door. The deputy decided he would check all around the building for any signs. And he noticed a lock that had been broken on the ground and a spot where the Venetian blinds were slightly askew to her apartment. Venetian blinds are those style where they completely touch the ground and then they raise up all at the same time in a very i can't really describe this but i need to look it up because i can't think of it if you move a venetian blind the whole venetian blind moves so the fact that they're askew means something's like in the way of them don't they like open i'm thinking of like egyptian but like 
when it like goes like this. I need to look it up right I now. Don't, I don't know that much about blinds. I'm not an interior <laughs> person, I guess. If it's not an Animal Crossing, I don't know it. <laughs> it probably is. It probably is. It's in the new update. They'll teach us about blinds. <laughs> hey, yo, Animal Crossing. Put some Venetian blinds in the there. <laughs> Come on, we need to know for our murder cases. <laughs> Why are we Italian when we talk about Venetian blinds? I don't know. Okay. This doesn't really... I'm looking it up. I'm going to continue. <laughs> I mean, they look like regular blinds. But they're Venetian. Okay. We'll go with that. <laughs> Due to the blinds being askew, though, there was a space where he could have looked into the apartment and he decided he was just going to peer in, maybe see if he saw anything out of the out of the ordinary or just, you know, anything. But he did see something. He saw a headless body sitting in front of Crystal's bed. I cannot imagine that. Like... I know that I'm I'm the person where whenever I hear a case and they're like, I thought it was a mannequin. I'm like, it's it's not a mannequin, my dude. It's never a mannequin or something like that. Or they're like, yeah, there's just a trash bag on the side of the road. I'm like, nope, there's body in it. <laughs> there's a leg. I got to tell you, brother. <laughs> but I feel like this is the one time I would be like, that's not a body. Right. <laughs> that can't be a body. No, nope, nope. It's a weird big giant life-size Barbie doll without the head. Well, and like I guess it depends on how it happens, right? As far as like how much blood there is. It was everywhere. Oh, okay. Spoiler alert. <laughs> Sorry. It was a very, very gruesome scene to say the least. Her head was propped up on a bookshelf that was drug in from a different room. And then there was also mirrors staged all around the room so that no matter where you were standing in the room, you would see the whole sight of everything. And Kylie, guess what? Her nipples were skinned off. That's like the horrors of like a three-way mirror. Yeah. Ugh. Crystal had definitely at this point endured the most mutilation and abuse from the hands of the killer. And there is a theory as to why it is because she looked extremely similar to O'Mather, Danny's ex-wife. I still can't get over that name. I wanted to make my joke again. But... I was. I said it in my head. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> the police could tell her death was caused by a large stab wound in her back, and they figured it could have been the same knife as the previous murders, which would mean the fact that they have a serial killer on their hands at this point, because it had been up to three at this point. Crystal's back had signs of lividity and discoloration to her skin. Her blood that had been pooling in the area after her death had caused this. And it was concluded that she had to have been laying down for some time after her murder before the killer eventually moved her into the slump position at the end of the bed. During this time, that is when he probably had decapitated her. Because it was done after she was killed. I wonder why he did that, because he didn't with the other girls. I'm saying it's the ex-wife thing. I, oh, yeah. I, really I guess that makes so. sense. Yeah. 
There were other hours that could have been unaccounted for during this time, and they think again that Danny was hanging out in the apartment with her dead body. I wonder if he talked to them. That would... I You saying that just made me speechless <laughs> because that is so messed up. It is. Yeah. He probably did, But though. he potentially did because later we find out he really did talk to his other personalities. He named it even. He named it the Gemini because he's a Gemini. Which he's giving Geminis a bad name. We already all give Geminis a bad name, but he really did. Yikes. Crystal's body had the same sticky substance and duct tape residue from being bound by the killer, but again, no actual duct tape was found. The only thing I could not find about this part of the case was whether or not her body had any of the cleaning detergents or anything like that used on it. But since all the other people had, I think there probably was, but since the decapitation was the main thing here. I feel like that was probably more reported at this point in time. Three students were mutilated and murdered in the same fashion in less than 12 hours. It was the weekend before fall classes would have been starting at the university of Florida and students weren't fully aware of the fact that there was a serial killer on the loose. So students were still going about their normal activities, moving into the dorms, playing games out on the quad, everything like that. However, on August 27th, there was another murder. The killer had struck again, this time at the home of two 23-year-old best friends, Manuel Taboda and Tracy Pauls. Manuel, also known as Manny, was a former high school football star, and Tracy Pauls was the former homecoming queen and cheerleader. They had been best friends for many years and decided, since they were going to the same college, they should move in together and be roommates. Manny had plans with friends, and when he had not contacted them or anything and no one had heard from him, they had called campus security, and campus security decided it was out of their hands, so they called the police. That is when the police came to do a welfare check on the house. I'm sure campus security, like, knew and needed to, like, keep an eye out, like, of the murders. So they probably knew, and they were like, nope. <laughs> we're not. We don't get paid for that. that. <laughs> Before police arrived, the friends of Manny and campus actually did go up to the apartment to try to see if anyone was home. Immediately when they opened the door, they all said they saw the same thing because police later investigated and interrogated each person. And every single person said everywhere was covered in blood and there was a black bag. They knew something was wrong. They ended up leaving. They waited for the police outside. So when the police ended up going up to the apartment, they all noticed that there was blood everywhere. It was a it was a bloodbath. There was no black bag anywhere in the house. What? <laughs> so here's the potential reasoning. The killer could have been in the apartment at the same time. And when he heard people coming in, he realized he had to leave and he picked up his bag and left. That is the one time where those kids' guts saved them. Because if they had walked in, it oh, would have been over. Danny would not have spared them. No. no, 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 no. So they think he panicked and left. And there is another reason why it seems like that might be the case. I'll get to that in a moment. Tracy's body was found first because she again was positioned close to the front door. There was a trail of bed. <laughs> I don't know why, but I immediately thought of bed bugs. <laughs> it was just a trail of, of bed bugs. Bed- 
process. I knew it was wrong, but I couldn't figure out what was <laughs> like, wrong. Nope. So I kind of just started. I'm like, a trail of bed? What's a trail? Blood. Blood bed. Blood, blood from bed. Blood. Blood. I got, I got there. it. Tracy's body was found first because she was positioned very close to the front door with a trail of blood starting from her bed leading to where she was. Meaning she was stabbed in her bed while asleep and then drugged to where she was found. She was found to have been raped and stabbed three times in her back. There was also residue on her from being restrained with tape as well. Also, her body was posed in a sexually degrading way. Her clothes were forcefully ripped off and the same weapon they believed that had been used on the previous victims was used on her. However, she was the first victim that was not mutilated and that is more evidence potentially showing that the killer was still in the house and that he got interrupted and that's why he left with his black bag. Sorry, Danny, you didn't get to decapitate her this time. I forgot my joke. I don't remember either. Hmm. I had a funny joke there. It's gone. Drats. Oh, I think that's what it was. Drats plans foil. Oh, yeah. (laughs) But I say drats so much that I forgot I used it as a joke. (laughs) They think that Manny was also killed while he was originally asleep and that he was woken up and fought back because he had quite a few defensive wounds all over his body. Seeing as how he was a sports athlete that was six foot tall and over 220 pounds, he could have easily put up a fight against someone. He was stabbed and slashed all over his arms, legs, neck, back, face, and torso. So he was probably killed while trying to put up a fight and defend himself and Tracy. Within the 72 hours, these reports were starting to stack up. But the one good thing was the killings did stop. But at this point, everyone was in pure fear. The students were fleeing back to their hometowns, leaving campus, and the media was capitalizing on the horror as the mellow college campus had became a circus. It reminds me of the scene of the movie Scream where Stu's like, I don't know what you did, Sid, but, you know, we gotta thank you. And all the kids are going crazy and they're deciding to throw a party. And like, it's, it just looks like a little crazed. Everyone's going kind of buck wild, but the town has a curfew and stuff. And the reason they're doing it is because there's a killer on the loose, which is literally what's happening here. And that's how Kevin and Wes had gotten the idea pretty much of how Scream is portrayed. Not that you know what I'm talking about, Kylie, (laughs) but just so you know, in this scene, Stu's girlfriend is wearing this ugly ass outfit. She has neon red pants. They're like almost tracksuit pants. And then she has a crop top red Nope, not red. Just a crop top jersey. It's an ugly outfit. That sounds horrible. <laughs> it's bad. That's all. I always like make comment about how bad it is when I watch the film. Wait, is Stacy Drew Barrymore? No, but where'd you oh. get the name Stacy from? Didn't you just say Stacy? I never once said Stacy. What did what name did you say? Stu's girlfriend. Oh. <laughs> Same difference. <laughs> no. <laughs> What's Stu's girlfriend's name? Dewey's little sister. <laughs> I don't remember her name. Okay. She's the one that dies in the garage. She's the one with that really iconic line. Oh, Mr. Ghostface, I want to be in the sequel. Okay. And then... She tries to crawl out the little dog door and then <laughs> doesn't quite work out. <laughs> nah, he he does a little little killy kill, a little killy kill, a little snip snip. 
little slice and dice, if you will. <laughs> That's a line from the movie. That's what I have tattooed on me. All right, I'm getting off track because I love the movie scream. <laughs> okay. The surrounding area of Gainesville had became so hectic that all the gun and pawn stores in town had sold out of guns, mace, defensive knives, and just anything that could have been used to defend themselves, all because of the hysteria of this whole event. Hysteria. Not anymore. (laughs) I'm correcting that shit. (laughs) The media was spreading rumors that the killer could have been anyone from your local police Nope. <laughs> God, I hate words. They're so hard. Local please us. The media is spreading rumors that the killer could have been anyone from your local pizza delivery guy or a police officer or just your normal average everyday Joe neighbor. So no one was safe. That's when the media gave him the nickname, the Gainesville Ripper. Bum, bum, bum. Bum, bum. <laughs> I sound like Blue's Clues. <laughs> yeah, I was just about to go. Burr, burr, burr. <laughs> I'm so glad we were on the same page. There. Very much. I was like, oh god, I hope she doesn't call me out. That mine sounded like Blue's Clues, and then you start laughing. I was like, and here's the call out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there it is. <laughs> the- <sighs> The police started noticing that there were a few similarities that were going to be the clue in solving this case. The weapon was potentially the same, how the houses were broken into, the fact that the victims were all stalked and had similar appearances, minus Manny, obviously, who happened to be an accidental victim, and how he displayed the bodies. All the women he attacked were young, college-age, petite, beautiful, long-haired women with homes that had back doors overlooking a balcony area. Part of this was due to the nature of how the killer was breaking into the homes. Each house was broken into with the back door being popped open in the lock because they had put a screwdriver in it and kind of jimmied it open so that that lock did pop open. The way he stripped the victims was the same. The duct tape, the washing of the bodies. He even made sure to use gloves so the police didn't notice like I had said earlier. Fingerprints were never found at any of the scenes. The police wondered if this person knew what they were, like, needing to hide in order to get away with this crime. Like, if he was, like, involved with some sort of, like, police force or something along those lines. That is part of the profile, Kylie. As fast as the killings began, the killings had stopped. Investigators were wondering, could these just have been burglaries that went wrong and then the person got, you know, too over scared of accidentally killing people and now they're like i gotta back off they ended up creating a suspect profile the suspect profile was that of a white male late 20s to early 30s six foot tall with an athletic build single a loner average to above average intelligence very organized a good knowledge of police work or at least what they look for they believed the person had to have a criminal past of some sort have some sort of past dealing with assault or sexual assault or violent crimes, has a poor image of women. He had to have been confident, probably in the military at some point, had a neat or clean appearance, and worked in a menial job that required little to no skill. How did they get all of that? That's just crazy. And just like pinpointed on the dot. 
Yeah, I love when the suspect profiles from the BAU and stuff are released because when they're on it like that, I'm like, oh my God, yeah. <laughs> yes. Tell me more, Hotchner and Reed. <laughs> I need to know it all. The police started linking the murder information and noticed the five victims had varying amount of stab wounds from one to 31. I almost said stab wounds. That's why I got really weird. <laughs> I could tell you were staying up yep. <laughs> They narrowed down the weapon to a Marine K bar military knife, which is a knife that is seven inches long. <laughs> we both remember it's traumatized to us now. <sighs> if you don't know what this knife looks like, you don't even have to Google it. I saved you the time. Wes, Wes Craven actually taught us what it is. Because it is the exact knife that Ghostface uses in the movie Scream. They literally went accurate on that. So we can all thank Wes for teaching us what a Marine K-Bar knife is. (laughs) Wes Anderson. Uh (laughs) I knew I did it somewhere in here. Five days after the bodies were found, they started to collect evidence. A paper towel was found next to Christina's body along with her underwear. Both these items had semen on it. Crystal Hoyt's body was swabbed and semen was collected from it. During this time, they also decided to start creating the suspect list. It had over 675 males on it, and they created a special task force to deal with this called the Tubes and Cubes. I cannot get over that name. Like, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense at all. How do you go from, like, you would think it would be, like, the Gainesville Ripper, I don't even know. Like, <laughs> where do there. you get tubes and cubes from? Well, and imagine having to put that on your resume when you're, like, trying to <laughs> enter somewhere else. You're like, yeah, I'm an elite profiler of the FBI. And they'll be like, oh, yeah, did you ever work on any big case? And they're like, I was actually the lead person on the tubes and cubes. <laughs> it just it belittles it, I feel like. I think it's probably because there were so many people on the list that there was just like a plethora of tubes of like samples and then cubes can be like, I don't know. Why like wasn't it boxes? Bo- a, a box yeah, of like information. Yeah. Evidence boxes. Yeah. Where they, they got tubes and they were like, what rhymes with tubes? We need a name. What rhymes with tubes? I'll <laughs> be like, cubes. You're, you're all sitting in a cubicle. Tubes and cubes. It makes sense. That's a good night. I mean, maybe cubicle. I don't know. I didn't think about that until I just said it. <laughs> well, the tubes and cubes was used to interview all 600 plus men and get blood and hair samples. During this time, Danny had skipped town and the police didn't have him as a prime suspect, so they weren't worried about that. Authorities found a suspect they actually believed to be the Ripper. His name was Edward Lewis Humphrey. He was an 18-year-old student who briefly had lived in the same complex as two of the victims that had just recently he had been evicted from. He also had a crush on one of the other victims and had a history of wild erratic behavior. Humphreys had a reputation for being violent, for threatening people with knives, and was battling acute manic depression. Just days before the murder, it was noted that a woman was threatened by him at a local grocery store where he said he had knives at home, which he could easily fillet a person with if he needs to. And all I guess the whole reason he was upset was like a coupon or like she was had more than 10 items and 10 items or less. It was like something really trivial. He, so he was a Karen 
<laughs> he was the OG Karen. OG Karen. <laughs> we'll give him a little pen. <laughs> During this time, he was also arrested for unrelated assault charges and sent to jail. But during that time, remember the murders had stopped. So his bail ended up being set at $1 million, which is a very extreme amount for the mid nineties. And that led to frantic communities talking and saying that this had to be the Ripper because otherwise, why would they put such a high bail out? When police went to Humphreys to search for DNA, murder weapon, evidence, anything, his apartment was super odd. It looked like two different people were living in it. It was highly organized and clean down to the last detail. But also it was like the most disgusting place you would ever see molded like food on the countertop, things like that. But then every single thing was labeled and like scrubbed with a toothbrush. So it's like immaculate cleaning versus uh, not disorganized, but just like not the food. (laughs) (laughs) It's like a grubby little monster. Yeah. But at this point, they also realized he was not the killer. There was not a single piece of evidence that could link him to the crimes. They realized a year before there was also a triple homicide that was unsolved in Louisiana that had similar evidence collected. That crime had DNA collected, so they decided to get in touch with the police officers of that area, and they found out that the DNA could have been a potential match. The police were adamant on the idea that these had to be committed by someone with a history of other crimes due to how fast the ramp-up stage was, so they started looking at more calm and docile crimes that maybe could have gotten overlooked. They ended up looking into robberies that had happened in the area around the same time as the murders, and there was one that matched perfectly. A local store had an attempted robbery where the robber got away by fleeing into the woods. The police began to scour the area where he had ran off in the woods, which was behind the college. At that point, they found a makeshift campsite in the woods that had numerous clues saying that this is where the killer resides. There was a ski mask with fibers of duct tape on it. There was blood on some of the pants that matched the DNA of Manny. Several of Crystal's pubic hairs were found inside the sleeping bag. And a screwdriver with a unique imprint was found. I tried looking up the concept of unique imprints of screwdrivers and the way the metal is flattened out to create the shape of a flathead screwdriver is almost similar to the concept of a snowflake and or fingerprint where it's unique and it's very hard to be mimicked. And so when you press it up against something hard enough, it actually leaves an imprint to where you can analyze that and say whether or not a certain screwdriver was used for a certain task. So when this certain screwdriver was used at apartments or homes to break open locks and such, it left that imprint there. Science is cool. That's really cool. Science is awesome. I didn't even know that. And (laughs) I work in a place where I use tools all the time. So now whenever I go to pick up a screwdriver, I tell all my coworkers about imprinting of screwdrivers. And they're like, wow, that is crazy. Where'd you learn that? I'm like, murder. True crime. True crime murder. But during this time, Danny Rollins was actually in jail because in September, he had robbed a Winn-Dixie grocery store at gunpoint in Ocala, Florida. He was not actually arrested during the burglary, though. He actually got arrested for crashing the getaway car. How lame. He is the worst of the worst. (laughs) 
It wasn't until early of the next year when authorities had found a tooth extracted from Danny to start linking him to DNA evidence. And that's when they began tying the Gainesville crime scenes all together, and he was the primary suspect. Wait, did they just like, dude? I'm gonna need, I'm gonna need one of your, one of your teeth. It sounded like they found a partial tooth something at the campsite when oh. I read it, but I couldn't for sure figure out how or where or what. But that was what it sounded like. I should say. Okay. When they were like, when I was like reading transcripts. But it, it was it was kind of vague. I had to like read some police transcripts and you could tell they were beating around the bush. So I'm not sure. Mm. But due to that, they couldn't technically trace that it was from him, they said still. So they needed more evidence. So while in jail, his blood was collected and pubic hair and the story of how he gave his pubic hair is foul. He had a lady attorney and... He had a lady attorney, and when she came in to come get the pubic hair, she pretty much sat down across from him. And she's like, Danny, we need 30 to 50 pubic hairs from your Netherlands. <laughs> your and Netherlands. She didn't call it that. <laughs> she's like, but we need it. Is is that going to be a problem? And this man stood up at the table, reached his grimy little Grubhub hand down his <laughs> pantaloons, and he... <laughs> pulled out a fistful of hair from his pubic region and slammed it down on the table and said, hmm, that's probably about 30, right? I would quit my job. <laughs> that is... Can you imagine the sound? <laughs> I can't even... Oh, I would scream in pain. I wouldn't... I can't. I like, Nope. That would hurt. That's awful. The DNA ended up being a match. However, this was 1990, and like I said earlier, DNA science was still fairly new. So they were unsure if this could entirely hold up in court, and that's when they said, we need a confession. The police had started studying Charles Manson and using the exorcism movies to get inside the mind of a psychopath. They thought that would help him get a confession. <laughs> in June of 1992, he ended up being charged formally with the murder of the five students and taken to court. While he was in jail, he became friends with his cellmate, Bobby Lewis. And Bobby is very infamous because he is one of the only people to escape death row. And he was the first one at that point. Danny had believed that with the severity of his crimes, he was going to be put on death row. So he thought Bobby could help him get off this. He confessed everything to Bobby in hopes that he would have advice for him. A month before the trial, Danny asked to speak with the Gainesville police. And he said he was willing to confess, but only through bobby lewis think telephone tag they're all <laughs> sitting around and every time they ask a question they'll be like so danny when you stabbed manny where did you stab him and he would like look at the police officer then look at bobby and then be like bobby and then bobby would be like so he told me that he stabbed him twice in the arm once in the neck and that's literally how the entire confession went. I'm sure that took hours. <laughs> the next line in the notes, the confession took hours. <laughs> it was insanely ridiculous. So childish. Danny did tell the police, though, he killed the people for a good reason. He said since he spent eight years in prison during his life, he wanted to take a life for each of the years of his life that was wasted in prison. I find no facts to that because he does not seem like he's going to stop. I feel like he would create 
reasonings he'd be like oh well manny was an accident so i gotta kill again you know he would have a reason and also that's stupid yeah he's too gruesome to have a limit like that so in february of 1994 just before the start of the trial he had stood up in the courtroom and abruptly just yelled out in court he's like i'm changing my plea my plea is to guilty in front of everyone his defense police family and O'Mather was there. She, no one knew it was going to happen. And this was the first time O'Mather had seen him in either like 13 or 17 years. It was wild. And when they were like all testifying, she had to testify against him in court. And she said it was the scariest thing that she had done. Well, yeah, because like, I mean, she knew that he was abusive, but I could not imagine if one of my exes was like, a killer like that's just terrifying i would not be able to handle that in court there was testimony from his mother who told all the details about the abuse that she and danny and the family had suffered from the hands of his father but later that was disputed by o'mather she said that she does not recall him saying anything about his family being abusive but that's how he kind of got the concept to abuse her. So I'm wondering if she thought it was just pure impulse or maybe she blamed it on alcohol or something else. He probably didn't want to talk about the issues, you know, his daddy issues. That makes sense. He actually claimed that he was driven by his alternate personality named Gemini that I mentioned earlier that he had created when he was younger and drove him to be a sadistic monster. Different psychiatrists were used in court to give their professional opinion on if he was legally insane or not, but they determined that even though he is suffering from severe personality disorders, it is not enough for him to not realize the magnitude of his crimes. The jury unanimously found Rowling's guilty of first-degree murder on all five accounts in March, and a month later, on April 20th, 1994, he was sentenced to death. Only so, going through Bobby didn't help. Not at all. <laughs> April 20th, 1994. That's only five years before what other big true crime case? I am 100%. I am 100% horrible. It's a school at, shooting. Oh. Columbine? Yeah. It's like the only one I know. <laughs> yes. I figured that if I gave you that hint, you might be able to. But dates, name, dates are just, I've never. Can you name the col Columbine killers? Nope. Eric and Dylan. Harrison Cleveland. I feel like I knew <laughs> Eric, but. She does not mean like she knew, knew him. Just so <laughs> right. I knew of the name. His appeals ended up becoming exhausted and Danny was facing the execution at Florida State Prison. His last meal consisted of lobster, shrimp, baked potato, cheesecake, and sweet tea. A hell of a meal. Very I mean, it expensive. sounds delicious. <laughs> In his final moments, there were 47 people crammed into the witness room. Most of them were the victim's family members. And when they asked him if he had any final words, he started singing a religious song. And when it got to the chorus, they cut his microphone off and he was sentenced to death. He ended up staring each of the family members in the eyes during his last moments, and they said he showed zero remorse. He was officially pronounced dead at 6.31 p.m. October 25th, 2006. 
After his death, police had actually found a written confession in his cell where he did confess to the Grissom family murders from Shreveport, Louisiana the year before. Also, not long after his death, a woman named Jeanette Frank had came forward and told a story about how she thinks she was the first actual victim of the Gainesville Ripper, but she survived it. She said he broke into her house, tried handcuffing her, and the handcuffs did not work, so he instead taped her up, raped her multiple times, and had threatened to kill her with a knife. She said she kept calm and just thought maybe he was someone that was mentally ill and lashing out, so she needed to stay calm, cool, and collected in order to make him feel at ease. She said due to this, he made a comment about how she would be the right kind of person to date if they had met under different circumstances. Oh, you mean like not breaking into my house and raping me? Thanks. And threatening to kill me with a Right, exactly. Jeanette was very into true crime. I know how that feels, girl. (laughs) And she knew that if she was murdered, she would need evidence to prove who killed her. So she said she wiped some of the semen onto the towel for the police to find in the room. However, since she was not murdered, she never did anything with this evidence and ended up washing the towel. There's no way for sure nowadays to say if this crime was or was not Danny, but it did happen in the right area around the right time, so it is unknown, and this could lead to the reason why the duct tape and maybe him, like, taking it with him every time. Maybe he wanted to use handcuffs. They didn't work that time, so he instead changed to duct tape, and then he's like, but duct tape leaves more evidence and that's why I didn't want to use it so I have to take it with me every time it could be believable I guess that makes sense of like why he would take it overall the case took three years had over 18,000 pieces of evidence almost 700 suspects but was eventually solved and Danny Rollins was put to death and a super iconic awesome movie series came from it (laughs) I really should probably watch that it's a good one it holds up i will say and Mm -hmm. the people that are it has such a good cast it's got courtney cox david arquette it has obviously shaggy from (laughs) scooby-doo when i showed kylie a clip from the movie that's all she said she goes is that is that shaggy Shaggy? from (laughs) scooby-doo it was a good one and obviously we all know my my main man ski ulrich's in it he ages like fine wine (laughs) fine wine He's a he's a, he's a dapper man. He's in Riverdale these days, and now he's a sheriff. Mm, what a good man! Mm-hmm. He went from being a killer to a sheriff. <laughs> so yeah, that's the end end all tale of the Gainesville Ripper, which is what inspired the movie Scream. So that makes a little more sense now why the next episode is Cassie Jo Stoddart, the murder of her, based on the movie Scream. <laughs> Well, inspired. Inspired, yes. They did not pull it off. They are two stews when they needed to be two billies. (laughs) That's why we decided to do a Halloween special of bonus episodes for you guys. We wanted to put these two back to back and really start us off with a fun note. We're still having some fun on the Instagram. Make sure to go give it a like and a follow. It's Cryptic Soup Pod. Also, the Instagram DMs are open if you have any suggestions on cases. We have a lot of themes coming up for you and plans, but we might be able to slide a few extra episodes in if you slide into those DMs. (laughs) Slide into those Instagram DMs. And we just would love to hear from you guys. It's always a good thing if we hear any reviews or get some thumbs up, stuff like that. 
don't forget, we'll have another new episode next Tuesday at 3 a.m. So that's only in a few days from you. It'll be on the 2nd. So November 2nd. So guys, we're going to head on out, but remember to subscribe and follow so you can tune in and keep up with your favorite episodes. Currently, they're still available on Spotify and Anchor. We're working on Apple Podcasts to get it over to you guys soon. And Breaker is available. It seems like a pretty easy to use website. And Stitcher. And Stitcher. A lot of people use Stitcher, so. Overcast, I think, too. Is it Overcast? I wrote Overcast. If not, I'm lying to y'all. I don't know. We we are using Anchor, and Anchor distributes a lot, too. So I'm sure you can find us on any podcasting platform that you normally use. Or if you're me, any podcasting platform. <laughs> I have a little tongue-tie moments, guys. No worries. All right, guys. It was fun hanging out. We can't wait to catch you on Cassie Joe. Stay tuned. Stay tuned. <laughs>